Welcome back. This is Brinkley Chapter 13. The Brinkley Chapter 13 is kind of divided into two uh, because it's kind of weird uh, and it tackles two different subjects throughout the whole chapter. The first one that we'll be talking about is kind of this idea of manifest destiny and expansion westward. Uh, and then the second one is the final installment of Before the Civil War. Uh, after Listening to this podcast, uh, we'll be going into the Civil War for Brinkley 14, uh, but you should be, at this point, pretty well-versed in um, kind of why the Civil War is going to be happening and what the causes of the Civil War are going to be, um, especially economically and socially in particular. Those two are going to affect a lot of the uh, political infighting and uh, war from between the two northern and or between the northern and southern states. Uh, so to get into Brinkley 13, there's we kind of start with this idea of manifest destiny, that America was given the right by God himself uh, to expand westward and just kind of take whatever land they see is theirs. So um, they're annexing Texas, they're at war with Mexico, they invade kind of the northern part of Florida, and then take the rest of Florida from Spain. Uh, they move westward to California and start the gold rush. They annex Mexican states. They, do, uh, they draw the line uh, for the Canadian-U.S. border. They begin taking an interest in places like Alaska, Hawaii, and Cuba, um, as well as the Philippines and some of the islands like Guam, Puerto Rico. Uh, Samoa, etc. So, I guess to start, uh, Manifest Destiny is the idea that they can expand anywhere, which is kind of the foreign policy mastermind uh, behind all of this, that America isn't taking other people's lands, like the Native Americans, like the Spanish, like the Mexicans, like the Canadians, the British, uh, or the Russians, they're not taking that land. They're, they're just taking what land belongs to them anyway. So they're not invading these countries, they're taking what's rightfully theirs. And that definitely uh, is the forefront thinking of people like James Polk, um, Andrew Jackson, who kind of expand the powers of the presidency to uh, take on the War Department and kind of take on the idea of running a military. They, they're obviously not out there commanding the militaries, but they are making the policies, they're making the decisions that are going to affect the outcome of the war, and they're going to surround themselves by advisors, by generals who are going to end up signing treaties, end up signing peace deals, end up um, really expanding the United States um, in a way that foreign powers are going to have to accept because the United States is going to force them to accept that. So um, we obviously see the United States annexing Texas, which brings them into war with Mexico pretty much right away um, because Mexico sees Texas as their land. The United States sees Texas as their land, so they fight over it. And the United States ends up winning and taking California, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, and Colorado. And all of those states end up, um, you know, obviously being in the Union today, but 
they were uh you know fought over from and taken by or taken by the United States from Mexico uh, through manifest destiny uh, and then we also see another westward expansion we see the United States moving into California into Oregon into Washington and kind of um skipping over the kind of great plains of the United States which are still pretty unpopulated even today and making their way right toward California due to the California gold rush and kind of the profitability of that. Um, definitely expanding upon the American dream, the idea that anybody through hard work can find gold or uh, make enough money uh, to become rich, become wealthy enough to, um, you know, be able to sustain themselves. And a lot of these people Panning for gold don't end up finding gold, um, but a lot of people who move here and open up businesses and stands and begin selling, uh, like, you know, opening hotels, selling food, things like that, they end up making the real profit um, and taking a lot of the money, um, which definitely gives a boon to uh, California or the California economy. Um, and then kind of the second half of Brinkley is the preparation for the Civil War. This is a lot of infighting, political um, debates, and a lot of hard-to-follow things because we don't really know what happened behind closed doors for a lot of these things. Um, so we obviously have things like new parties for forming the Free Soil Party and the Republican Party. Uh, both of those are um, influential to politics and they kind of show uh, the mass change in uh, the idea of slavery, that the Republican Party is um, anti-slavery and they're going to vehemently oppose any state in the Union that wants to become a state uh, and wants to become a slave state. Um, and that power is definitely shown, uh, like in Bleeding Kansas, uh, in the, in the Kansas-Nebraska Treaty. There's a lot of infighting with people like John Brown and militia groups uh, creating their own governments and fighting one another and fighting over slavery. It is kind of the beginning of the Civil War because it's the first time, um, you know, that political allies, political opponents of each other are beginning to line themselves up and beginning to fight for this idea of slavery or this idea against slavery, um, the abolition of slavery. Uh, along with that, we have some compromises. We have the Compromise of 1850, which kind of is a mixed bag. It adds California as a state, and it um, abolishes the slave trade, but it also allows slave states in um, the, new acquire, the newly acquired Mexican land to have slaves, and it also uh, begins to strengthen the Fugitive Slave Act, which allowed... Um, well, I guess the Fugitive Slave Act, Slave Act allowed uh, slave owners to move into the Northern Territories of the United States uh, into free states and take slaves um, who were running away. So that means that previously slaves would have to just make it to the Northern of the, or uh, the Northern states, states like, um, you know, they could make it to Washington, D.C., they could make it to uh, New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois, uh, Kentucky, Indiana, they could make it to those states which were free, 
um, and then they'd become free black men or free black women. Um, Fugitive Slave Act allows uh, slave owners to track them down even in those places, which extended the line from, you know, northern border states to Canada, which means runaway slaves would have to get all the way to Canada instead of just, um, in some cases, just a few miles away from their plantation. Um, the next thing is kind of this idea of invading Cuba, invading Canada, invading, um, you know, taking Alaska, taking uh, Hawaii, or annexing Hawaii into the United States as a state. Um, the issue with all of those is that the other side, whether that be the Republicans or the Democrats, um, either side saw that as helping their opponent. By invading Cuba, it would become a slave state, which would help the slave state. By invading Canada, it would become a free state, which would help the Democrats, uh, or help the Republicans. So that's, um... That's an issue that the United States is no longer functioning because at this time the two parties are so divided that, I mean, they're fighting in Kansas, they're fighting in Nebraska, they're fighting in Congress. Uh, you know, you have senators like uh, Sumner getting beaten uh, over the head with a cane. You have John Brown going around with militant groups shooting people in uh, Kansas. You have, you know, the Dred Scott decision. Uh, which was perhaps the most famous example of a Supreme Court decision having really horrible effects. Um, definitely not everyone's favorite <laughs> Supreme Court decision today. Uh, you also have kind of the Lincoln debates uh, with Douglas and kind of showing like the two sides of the Republican Party with Lincoln being not abolitionist, but trying to limit the power of the slave states from expanding, and Douglas, who is at best indifferent to slavery and the effects of slavery on uh, the black population, all of which comes to a head in the election of 1860, which Lincoln wins, but he's unable to win an outright, outright majority in the Senate, and he's unable to win even by a popular vote, not even close, he wins 32% of the popular vote. Um, so only a third of the country supports Lincoln, which is more than um, all the other candidates who are running, but it's still not an outright majority, which means Lincoln's going to have a hard time um, garnering any support for anything he does, either in Congress or, as we're about to see next chapter, for the Civil War. Um, so all of this kind of is the boiling point for the Civil War. The last two chapters have been a lot of um, expansion of the United States, and they've been a lot of underlying issues kicking the can down the load or down the road. A lot of compromises um, with a bunch of senators, with a bunch of representatives, with the president um, being made and then broken, and then being redrafted, and then being debated in Congress, and we don't know really a lot of what's going on behind closed doors. We don't know what what things are being said between the two senators. We don't know the true intentions of the senators, but it seems that the United States is destined at this point um, 
for the people at the time, it seems the United States is destined uh, to explode into a civil war because both of the sides are so deeply divided and both of the sides are so deeply um, entrenched in their values that they're unwilling to make a compromise at this point, something that's been kicking the can down the road for so long. So um, slavery was an issue that was always going to be difficult, but now that the two parties are so deeply divided, they can no longer come to a compromise. Um, even in uh, the 1850s, with the 1850 compromise, it was still very difficult, and now impossible as we get to the 1860s. It's very difficult for them to make any sort of compromise with each other. And so I guess I'd like to take a turn here now and stop talking about Brinkley and start talking about uh, current politics, <laughs> everyone's favorite subject, I'm assuming. <laughs> um, the divide between the two parties today is perhaps reflected quite well in the 1860s. And I think that as we're talking about this right now, as I'm talking about the divide between these two countries, or between these two uh, divisions between the United States and between how they're unable to compromise, I think a lot of people are maybe reflecting on current day politics, on how we're so divided. And I think that if you truly believe this country um, is going to prosper and you want it to prosper, I think that we should do everything we can to avoid um, the accidents that happened before the 1860s. Um, the parties right now are very, very divided, and they pretty much agree on almost nothing at this point. Um, and it's turned into a lot of filibustering and a lot of personal attacks on representatives and senators and politicians as a whole. So I think while it's important to discuss politics and important to discuss um, people's viewpoints and criticizing people based on viewpoints you don't agree with, I think it's also important to realize that we're all American and we are all um, equally entitled to our First Amendment rights to speak and our First Amendment rights to have political discourse. I think it's one of the strengths of this country that we're able to have a conversation um, and not be arrested for holding a political belief different to that of the president or that of Congress. But I think it's also important that uh, the United States doesn't repeat the same um, missteps that we took in the 1860s. Um, and I think that right now we're definitely headed towards that from what it looks like. Uh, and I'm not saying that a civil war is going to happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen anytime soon. But I think we should at least be mindful of the fact that the civil war was the most deadly event in American history and completely destroyed this country to the point where the South is so economically behind the northern states that um, they have to hold on to a kind of idea of southern identity in the Confederacy um, because it was a point in time where they had enough power to overpower the North 
uh, which they don't have anymore because of the ramifications of the Civil War. So there's a lot of talk of Civil War in the United States today, and I think that's a problem to glorify, to say, you know, my side, whether that be Republicans, Democrats, my side would win. I think at the end of the day, history has told us that a civil war in the United States will have no winner at all. Republicans and Democrats, if they were to go to, into a civil war, both sides would at one point lose, no matter who we can say won, and air quotes around one there. Um, so I think that's just a mindful thing to recap, and I think it's just something we need to be mindful of as we go into um, the Civil War for Chapter 14. So thank you, and goodbye.